Evan Weisbrot, who is the president of 180 New York and runs some of those accounts, um, he said that uh, Slim Jim responds to, I think, a thousand messages per day on Instagram. And that is, that is quite a commitment. But keeping up with that really paid off. Wait, did I hear that right? A thousand interactions from Slim Jim. You heard that right. That is incredible. That is one of those things that should make us all pause as social media practitioners, whether we work for big brands like the parent company of Slim Jim or we're walking for a smaller organization. If Slim Jims can respond and engage with a thousand customers a day, just about anybody can. What a profound episode this is. If you like that statistic, Jess is going to have so many more for you on what she's doing at Adweek. And really, Anna, she has her finger on the zeitgeist of what is going on uh, with small accounts, big accounts. There's a few PG-13 mentions in this particular episode, but overall, great insights about Slim Jim and more. It is. And, you know, it was such a treat to have Jess Zafaris, Director of Audience Engagement for Adweek, on this week. Because, Adam, as you mentioned, she has a bird's eye view into everything. She sees the trends, and we picked her brain on just about everything. And not only that, um, everybody knows that we are over 500 guests now. Uh, We are well past our 500th episode at this point. But Jess still managed to break a lot of firsts. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, It's going to be a really, really fun episode. But before we hear from Jess, we have something else we want to talk to you about. Did you know that today, 84% of marketers say customer expectations are changing their digital strategy? Despite the harsh challenges of the past two years and and more coming up on that with the pandemic, marketers have found innovative ways to connect with their customers and each other. The seventh edition of the State of Marketing Report from Salesforce presents the insights of over eight thousand marketing leaders across 37 countries. This year's report reveals the biggest priorities and challenges that will shape the future of marketing strategy in 2022 and beyond. Download your free copy today at bit.ly slash state of marketing report. That's bit.ly forward slash state of marketing report, all lower case. Now, Let's go ahead and hear from Jess Zafaris, Director of Audience Engagement from Adweek. Jess Zafaris, Director of Audience Engagement for Adweek. This is a meta show. Here we are talking about social media on the Social Pros podcast with someone who talks about social media on a very marketing-oriented magazine, digital trade publication ad week that I have been reading since 1990. Wow, I just showed my age. Jess, it is so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here, and so is the rest of my team. I tell you, I want to ask you about what I just kind of teed up. How much Do you think that that fact that you do social media for a trade publication and you're talking to marketing and advertising and branding practitioners impacts what you and your team do on social? Oh, completely. Every single day uh, I learn something new from our community because often the, uh, the social media managers and the marketers that we are speaking to, that we're writing about, 
know as much or more about social media than I do. So every time I have the opportunity to learn from them, I do. And, and you almost just answered my next question for that is how smart is your audience as it relates to social media? And, and I'm going to kind of break that into two sub questions. Certainly, I think your audience is so creative and so clever. These are the people that are coming up with those earworms that we hear in marketing and advertising. Um, so they probably understand kind of that aspect, the creative aspect of social. But there are so many people on the more accounting and the media side that read your publications too. If you had to give them a bachelor's degree, master's degree, or PhD in social media, generally, where is the audience for Adweek? Oh, we range, uh, we have a pretty broad range as far as that's concerned. I would say we have largely bachelors, but then many masters, many even doctorates. And we actually in interact with those people a little bit differently depending on their level of expertise. For example, we have Adweek Chat, which are, is our weekly Twitter chat where marketers gather on Twitter for about an hour to talk to us about popular topics from the past week. And my colleagues and I come up with six questions about the latest and greatest topics, which are often very social media focused, and get their takes on uh, the, the, the topics that we're talking about. So, for instance, last week, we talked about the top 25 ads of the year that were chosen by our editors. And the previous week, we talked about updates to social platforms like Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter and Facebook rebranding as Meta. And the people who joined in all, they always share amazing insights, and it's such a fun way to get to know them and to learn from them and to get new perspectives that internally at Adweek we never would have considered. Um, and then the other aspect of this is we actually have a social media council, which is where um, we have several leaders from some of the top brands who run, who run and manage their social accounts and oversee their social strategy. And they weigh in on some of the most pressing topics of the day. They help advise other CMOs through our platforms. They write for us. They speak at our events. And they are the top-notch uh, master's and doctorate level experts in that field. I love that. I, I have so many questions I want to ask about the Social Media Council, but I'll go back to my original question, which is you leading off with... Um, the Adweek chats, which is, I was wondering how you came up with, with the content calendar for that. So it sounds like it's a blend of timely information, but then obviously also at the time of this recording, we're at the end of 2021. So you just did, you know, top 25 recap. How do you kind of determine what people want to talk about? Like, obviously you see, you hear everything. So how do you distill everything down into that engagement piece and specifically for the Twitter chat? Um, specifically, let's start there. So I work with a team of, well, it's a little bit, uh, it fluctuates a little bit. Right now I have two people on my team. I'm also hiring a third one at the moment. I imagine by the time this airs, I will have hired them. Um, but uh, I work with my social team and with my colleague, David Greiner, who's also very social focused, um, to decide what we're going to talk about. And often it has to do with either what people are talking about the most on Twitter or what the biggest news on Adweek is. So, you know, I chose the top 25 ads because uh, that was, you know, the biggest story of the week for us because people wanted to talk about what their favorites were, because people wanted to weigh in on the trends that were involved and that emerged from those uh, top 25 ads. And they wanted to tell us why we were wrong about our topics, which is fun. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's oh, it's oh. so much fun. I love when people tell us we're wrong. It's the best. We get the I mean, most exciting engagement out of that. 
That's well, the best type of controversy. Yes. I was just going to say, yeah, same, Adam. Like, that's really fun. I love how much you actually engage the audience. And obviously, that seems blatantly obvious from your title and what you're you're really responsible for. But I love that you even just outlined that that's where you come up with a lot of your topics of conversation. And, you know, you actually go back and forth with them. And I just think it's really cool the way that you engage with them on just a different level that we don't often see from a lot of brands. Well, you know, a lot of us at Adweek are journalists more than we are marketers. We write about marketing. We know a lot about marketing, but we don't do the day-to-day marketing job. So it's it's on us to make sure that we're learning as much from our audience as we are informing them. I do have a quick follow-up to, uh, to Anna's question there, and, and that is around your title, Director of Audience Engagement, and without a doubt, you are truly engaging, and, and the chat is a great example of that. But I'm curious, too, how your role fits into a very journalistic uh, newsroom. I'm assuming you kind of sit in the newsroom. You are a journalist in, in some ways. How does that fit? So much of social informs other stories about marketing and vice versa. So are you both kind of on the creator as well as the reporter side of things? Or is there one side of the the room that is more your homeroom? That's a great question. So um, a little bit of background. I started out um, with a a literature major, basically literature, anthropology and Arabic. And then uh, then I moved into I got a a master's in journalism. But at the same time, I had already started working for publishers uh, and media companies, and I I cut my teeth writing articles and running social accounts. Um, And I happened to, uh, one of my first jobs in media was at a um, a publication that hadn't quite gotten into or, or hadn't been taking the most advantage of its social media accounts. So being able to translate what was traditionally a very print-focused magazine into a digital conversation ended up sort of giving me a, a good reputation, not only as a, an online content director, but as a more holistic uh, content creator as well, um, translating what was essentially news, but more of a like trade publication-focused news into engaging online content across both websites and social media. Um, and then I did that. I've done that at, at several magazines, one of which I ended up being the editor-in-chief of for a little while. And then I did that. Um, I was the online content director at Writer's Digest and also ran all of their social platforms. So when I came to Adweek, um, they they were happy to have seen that I had um, I had both been a journalist and I had written for many publications. I had also worked in TV news for a little while. I did magazines. I did newspapers. Um so I had uh, the sensibilities of a journalist while also having the um, conversational savvy of a social media manager. And then I had done a little bit of marketing as well. So I had a dash of that, um, which is, is a nice blend if you're going to be running social for a publication, which is quite a bit different than, say, running the McDonald's Twitter account. You know, it's, it's, it's similar in that you are creating conversation and engagement, but we are not. We are providing information and news versus selling McDonald's products and generally just making people laugh, which is also amazing. There is nothing wrong with that. But it is, I think, a different discipline in some ways because your job is a little bit different. I think I post maybe um, 40 articles per day on a big day across Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, though 
we now have a social designer who's managing Instagram and her name is Gabby Uloa and she is doing an incredible job. Very impressed with her work. Um, and then of course I translate that to TikTok as well. So um, in terms of where that fits in the newsroom, I would say that um, I am fortunate because I think I might be one of the few people at Adweek who has the privilege of reading every single story that we publish, which means that I learn an enormous amount every single day about trends, about areas of marketing that I was not familiar with. When I came in, I had barely heard of programmatic advertising, and now I can tell you about some of the major trends in programmatic advertising. So my job, I would say, is largely, and although I still write articles for our magazine and our website, my job is largely to take what our reporters have written and make sure that I'm translating that to social media in the most true and most appropriate way possible, while, of course, getting as many eyes on it as I can. I love that approach. And you know what? That makes so much sense because after I checked out all of Adweek's channels, you know, it really, it just makes so much more sense because, you know, looking at all of the content that you create and that your team puts out on its social channels, it is very like, it's just so chock full of beneficial information. You really are just like giving away all this information, all this knowledge and like giving digests out. Like one of my favorite things that you do, um, especially on TikTok is the ad weekly. It's like the, the weekly recap. Um, for those of you listening right now, go follow ad week on TikTok. Uh, amazing. It literally gives you everything you need to know in a week. And I'm just curious, how did that come about Jess? Because it's really fun. It's incredibly well-produced and I, it's, it's awesome. I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much. I uh, so when I started at Adweek, uh, they hadn't um, they hadn't fully explored TikTok. There were a few videos. I think they had handed the TikTok channel over to to interns to play with, which is great. Like by all means, they did some fun, silly videos, but they hadn't quite gained much traction. They hadn't been consistent about posting, um, and you know, I saw that each week in addition to more like in-depth insights that were very like rich and probably not uh, probably not suited to a TikTok audience, which is a little younger and a little more um, lower level if they're marketers. So I noticed that throughout the week, we were publishing a lot of stories in our creativity and brand marketing verticals, which were really fun. You know, uh, brand brands releasing merch, um, Ryan Reynolds making ads, <laughs> speaking of which... Um, that was a big story this week, but um, also uh, just fun things that marketers and brands were doing. And and because everybody's trying to get attention in all the clutter of all the information right now, all the brands are, are vying for attention. They tend to be a little silly. Like there's, there's always a wealth of like nonsensical, ridiculous things. And anyone can appreciate that, that you don't have to be a marketer to want to know that Cheetos made a Christmas sweater, you know, <laughs> you... Um, you can, you can be any level and any sort of person. And so I thought that was the best thing to bring to TikTok. So I, I initially thought about it as like a weird news roundup. Like here are the weirdest things that advertisers are doing. Over time, it's evolved into more like the most interesting, the most fun, the most exciting things they're doing. And I try to focus on things that are highly visual, highly exciting. Um, so I choose about nine stories per week, depending on what we have on the website. But it's usually it usually comes out to about nine, um, and then select um, videos, images, um, a little bit of detail from each one, and compile it directly in TikTok. Um, I find that their their native tools are much better, so I'll pull out all the videos from our stories and then 
pop them into TikTok, organize them, and then do a voiceover just explaining how they go. Um, and I found really, uh, really quickly that it was taking off. People, people were very excited about it, and it resonated well. And it wasn't just marketers, though, though it was largely marketers who were interested in following that news. We also get all manner of people watching those videos. So I think it was a matter of making something fun, accessible, and broadly interesting. So, okay. Love how you just gave us the overview of how you edit those together. Again, everybody listening, go check those out because they are really beautifully produced and they're really fun. But just just for a baseline sort of time commitment level, how long does it take you to edit one of those together? It takes me about, I think, total with like from beginning to end, deciding on the the topics, um, writing the script, doing the voiceover, assembling, pulling all the the assets together, downloading the videos and whatnot. It can take up to three hours, but it's usually not too bad. And I've gotten a little faster over time. Awesome. No, I'm just curious because, of course, you know, people who haven't quite jumped into TikTok yet, you know, it's always hard to figure out how much time to estimate when you're proposing to do these things. So really interesting. I'm really excited. Um, I'm also introducing a new TikTok series, uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, we had this story by my colleague Lisa Lacey about how um, Ocean Spray cranberry sauce is packaged upside down. Um, the the label is on the can upside down, and I was like, "Well, that's weird." I bet I bet TikTok would like to hear about that. And it was the week of Thanksgiving, so I made a video while I was like on vacation about the upside down um, can, and uh, and it ended up being our most popular video of all time. Just like a little fun fact. So we you, have... You broke that? Uh, yes, it was crazy. Oh my gosh. We, yeah, we were at, literally at Thanksgiving table talking about that. Uh, thank you, Jess, for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also thank thank you to Lisa Lacey, who originally asked the question. I didn't even notice personally. I, I thought sometimes they were just upside down. And she was like, no, they're all upside down. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, I, my sister actually helped me make it on the fly. Um, but... Uh, so we're doing a we're going to start a series based on that um, style where like it's a fun fact about a brand that you didn't realize before um, because we've been we've been writing about these things for a very long time. My colleague Robert Clara does these beautiful articles in our magazine called Perspectives where he looks into the history of a brand. Um, so, for example, in the coming weeks, spoiler, um, I'm going to make a, a video about how. Um, the founder of Yankee Candle, the, the first candle that he ever made was a crayon candle for his mom. He melted crayons and made a candle for his mom. And the neighbor, his neighbors and her friends loved it so much that they asked him to make them candles. And he bought some paraffin and, and it turned into Yankee Candle. So it's always interesting to dig into the history of these brands. I am sure it is. Jess Zafaris, Director of Audience Engagement for Adweek, you have just demonstrated several times over that you have your fingers on the pulse and zeitgeist of what is going on. I'm going to ask you a few questions kind of in and around that. And you've already shown how you with Adweek are having a lot of fun with the brand. Other major brands are beginning and continuing to have fun. I think we kind of went through this point right after COVID where we saw a little more so solemn kind of tone, but it sounds as though most brands are back up. I mean, certainly backed up by the holidays. We are back to having fun. We are back to positivity and optimism, which is 
quite different than kind of what you typically see on social media. A, is that is that true? Is that what you're seeing? And B, talk a little bit about that, how you have brands you know, that, that may be a little bit more optimistic versus some of the kind of negative and vitriol that we see sometimes when we're talking from one person to another in social media. It does get rough sometimes. Social media can lend itself to being a, a toxic echo chamber hellhole sometimes. Pardon my French. Um, but uh, we do, I don't know, I would say that um, toward the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was being hyper cautious with their content on social media, which is absolutely to be understood, like they should have been, but they were being sensitive to people's feelings, they were trying not to offend anyone, trying, trying not to break or make too many waves. And then toward the beginning of 2021, we started seeing things relax a little bit. I think uh, one of the biggest moments was, you know, I think it was around April or March where we um, we started feeling like the pandemic was we were going to be able to start opening things a little more. And we sort of have we sort of haven't. You know, it's, it's so hard to tell, but but it felt like we were coming back to life a little bit. And there was this one ad in particular that I thought reflected that well. And it was when um, Extra Gum made its ad where people are just like leaping on each other and making out and running around. And, and it's this this ridiculous, horny ad that is like shocking and hilarious. And ev- everyone stays closed, up, closed obviously. But um, I, I think during that time, and then also during the Super Bowl earlier uh, that year, or earlier this year, there were more um, people feeling like they they could have a sense of release from having been so cloistered by the pandemic. And even though we're, we're still at home, a lot of us anyway, um, I think that people are, are finding the humor and joy again. And I'm seeing that among our audience too. People are ready to have fun. People are ready to be, um, to communicate. And, and although we have shifted to a more digital space where we're comfortable with that now. So we can kind of have some fun with it. I think that's great. I remember that extra ad vividly. Uh, kind of forgot about it until you brought it up again. And now uh, I was actually laughing off off mic uh, about that. But yeah, that was a great ad. Um, so just because you are seeing what every pretty much every brand is doing every single day on social, you live and breathe social, you're seeing what other brands are doing on social. Who would you say is really nailing it in terms of, let's go with audience engagement specifically. Like who do you think is really going out there and engaging with their audiences and having conversations and really using social for the purpose of being social? One of my absolute favorite brands to follow, and actually I I say this partially because I know a little bit about the background behind it because I've interviewed them before and I know their um, one of their social managers, uh, Shelby Jacobs, who works at 360i, manages several of the accounts for Sour Patch Kids. Um, and she is an absolute delight. And I think they do an excellent job of engaging people, especially on Twitter and TikTok. Um, there was... Uh, so one of the one of the reasons I say this too is because every year Adweek does um, a bracket during March Madness called March Adness. It's March Adness, but for ads. Um, March Madness, but for ads. But basically, um, it's this ultimate face-off. It's a bracket of sixty-four brands that go head to head, and we have voting every day on Twitter and Instagram and our website. Um, and it's so much fun. And the brands, several of the brands, just really get into it and end up like the the finalists are the ones that like bring in their fans and go head to head and create art and content around it. 
Um, and there was this really fierce competition between Aviation Gin and Sour Patch Kids last year. And both of them are both excellent, excellent at engaging people on Twitter and being funny and reactive and spot on. And that's certainly no surprise for Aviation in particular, because they're part of Ryan Reynolds' suite of brands and Maximum Effort is well known for doing extremely fast reaction, reactive-based advertising, as we saw this week with the Peloton ad that they created in response to uh, the Sex in the City reboot, which I try won't spoil that in case anybody hasn't seen it, but um, it was hilarious and I highly recommend looking it up. Um, uh, but anyway, um, so Aviation Gin and Sour Patch Kids went head to head. They both made like videos, graphics about this, about March Madness, and they always do stuff like that. I think it's amazing. Um, another one that Sour Patch Kids did on TikTok was there was a, um, there was a recipe going around, uh, a recipe trend where somebody, I think it was um, tomato feta pasta, and people would just, you know, make the the video with the the overarching sound, the original sound, and Sour Patch did, Kids did it, but instead of noodles, they put Sour Patch Kids in it. It was terrible. Um, but I know Shelby just, like, ran out and grabbed the stuff at the grocery store and did it at home, like, just all of a sudden. So, the, the ability and the commitment to just like jump into those moments and go for it is so much fun. Um, though I, I will also say I like, um, I like the way Slim Jim does engagement as well. They're a lot of fun. They, um, I've interviewed them a few times before and they acquired, they, they noticed that there were several parody accounts about Slim Jim, even though they weren't that active on social media so they found a guy that was running the parody account Slim Jim Doing Things, and they hired him. Um, and unfortunately, he's passed away since then, but his spirit lives on. The team there uh, still does exactly what he used to do, which is not sell Slim Jim on Instagram, but just post ridiculous memes that involve meat sticks and dating and, and all kinds of silly things. And then on they've recently um, amped up their Twitter presence, and they... Uh, are really connected to the cryptocurrency and Dogecoin community there. They've leaned into that hardcore and they have ridiculous Doge-themed memes everywhere and people just love it. They just eat it up. Um, and they'll also, they do a great job of creating like uh, limited edition products based on their um, their followers. So like if somebody wants like a particular flavor, they'll uh, they'll create that flavor in a limited edition capacity. Um, Evan Weisbrot, who is the president of 180 New York and runs some of those accounts, um, he said that uh, Slim Jim responds to, I think, a thousand messages per day on Instagram. And that is that is quite a commitment. But keeping up with that really paid off. They um, they took that Instagram account to 1.3 million followers or, or something like that um, within just a few months. So just incredible work there. Jess, I had a perfectly scripted question I was going to ask you at this point, and I have just thrown that question out because you brought something up that I think is fascinating. Uh, you mentioned Slim Jim and doing some cross-pollinization, cross-marketing with like Dogecoin or, or crypto and things like that. From your vantage point, how important and how successful can those very odd cross-promotion programs, maybe only in social, be? 
if you were a social media practitioner at one of these brands, would you say, hey, we, we need to think about doing something like this? Or maybe we need to bring in an influencer that has absolutely positively nothing to do with, with our brand. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think that if it's if it feels creative and fun and if you can get people to buy into it and provide value in the process, then it is a home run every time. Uh, one of the best examples I can think of is um, Elf Cosmetics partnering with Chipotle to create a Chipotle themed makeup kit. And they promoted this on Twitter. Or I'm sorry, on on TikTok and partnered with drag queens and sent them these packs of Chipotle-themed makeup kits. And it was really cute. They had a little makeup applicator sponge that was shaped like an avocado. Um, It was actually two little sponges, the little core of it, and then the the outer avocado part. Um, And it was so cute, like watching just everybody interact with it. And it was the the colors and the palette were uh, Chipotle burrito colors, like green and brown and things like that. And so like, um, they had these drag queens like making themselves up with these these gorgeous and ridiculous um, ostentatious uh, designs, and it just it was beautiful. It worked really well. Everybody loved it. It went viral, um, and they did just such a great job. I think another aspect of it is like being able to recognize and spot opportunities to do that. I, this isn't exactly a partnership, but like the the gold standard of of spotting your moment is probably. Um, uh, EOS, who, um, and I'm going to have to swear here just because it's, it's too good to not. Um, but, uh, um, when I believe it was a uh, TikTok user, Carly Joy, um, made a video about, um, how she shaves her nether regions. Um, her, her followers asked her to recommend a product and she pulled out EOS's shaving cream and said, this will bless your fucking cooch. And uh, so they made a product, a bottle that said, bless your fucking cooch. And like they had her instructions that she had in the video printed on the back of the bottle and they sold out immediately. And it was just, it was great. That responsive marketing was just incredible. Jess, I'm willing to bet that in all over 500 guests we've had on the show, you have maybe just set a uh, lot of firsts. And I have to give you all of the hats off and all of the round of applause for for setting the first on so many things uh, with that last story. I love it so much. It's so good. Thank you for that segue as well. So I didn't have to uh, to do it. Cooch cream makes a great segue every time. You know, I don't know why we haven't used it before, all 500 (laughs) episodes. Next business meeting. We have shown through EOS, through Slim Jim, through Sour Patch Kids, there are so many smart, creative people, very likely reading your publication, doing very creative things. So my meta question for you is, how do you reach the people who write that stuff, who come up with that stuff, who produce that stuff. Are they interested in just seeing good social? And they go, hey, that's good social. I'm going to read this article. Do they say, I need to see the data. I need to see that this actually drove impressions, awareness, brand lift, sales. Or, or are they more kind of on the, on the science side? They, they're just curious the technology that's behind it. What do the creative social media practitioners, maybe who also listen to social pros, what scratches their itch when they read Adweek? I would say it's a it's a mix. It depends on where your area of expertise is. If you're a creative social media professional, I imagine you want inspiration first, but you also want to know about the numbers. Um, we tend to, you know, we're 
at, at ad week, we are journalists and we try to report both. If we're reporting on, on EOS's pooch cream, then we probably, uh, ask them about, you know, how the performance works, how they, um, how they promoted it. Um, we'll go deep dive into that. Um, we tend to, I would say our most popular articles tend to be focused on, on the creative, but also dig into the stats. I think it's a whole picture uh, kind of thing. And if you are a, um, if you're a social media professional, I think it's important to pay attention to both. Um, your uh, most marketers are performance focused because their, you know, their results and their success are, are measured in KPIs. Um, and so paying attention to the way that brands have achieved actual measurable success is as valuable as gathering inspiration for doing similar, um, campaigns and executing on those. And without a doubt, you just take inspiration from, from all of this. And a lot of that inspiration kind of revolves around a subject that you're also an expert on. It's something that you've written a book about, and that's etymology. Um, I would love for you to tell, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your book, but I'm curious. You're going to hear the big two questions here in a second, but my big one question before the big two questions is, if you could add any social media-oriented word other than the one we just talked about, uh, to the dictionary, real dictionary, not urban dictionary today, what would that be? So I think uh, this is going to be, this would be pretty much anybody's answer who's in the marketing sphere right now, but probably the metaverse, um, because, you know, that's that's on everybody's mind right now. And and social media in particular is, it, it already... It already followed many of the principles that are establishing and structuring the metaverse. It was already a community where people engaged and where people made connections without ever actually meeting the people that they were engaging with. People have made friends online. I know I have, especially over the past couple of years. So embracing this digital space, I think, is going to be, it's its an unstoppable train at this point. Um, everyone is is shifting into at least some aspect of their lives is metaverse connected and social connected. Um, there, you know, you, you try to, um, you, you can aim to be off the grid all you want, but I think ultimately like careers and industry and business and even economics itself are going to be very, you know, very metaverse forward in the future. Do you know of any companies that you've written stories about in Adweek? And we're talking about the big, huge, you know, uh, you know, seven, eight digit uh, annual advertising marketing budget companies that are starting to do things like that. I mean, I can remember my days at Coca-Cola. We were in Second Life. But again, that was many, many moons ago. What are the big brands doing as it relates to preparing for the metaverse? Well, the biggest one, um, the the space in which many of them are operating, or the spaces, I, I should say, are um, Roblox and Fortnite, and they are the ones who are who are really leading the charge in establishing the metaverse as as a valuable space that brands can engage with. In Roblox, you can even like create your own games if you're in uh, if you're in the metaverse. Um, I know Wendy's did a really good job of engaging with Fortnite. I think they won two Can Lions um, two years in a row for putting Wendy into various games. And they started a Twitch channel where they were um, they were playing with her in Fortnite and in a variety of other games. I'm not going to be able to cough up the other ones at the moment. But um, 
So that's a great example. Um, another one that I thought was, it's so interesting. Um, earlier this year, Gucci sold, I, I hope it's Gucci. Um, it's one of the big designers like that. Uh, but they sold a handbag in Fortnite for more money than the physical handbag was worth in real life. So I think uh, the the brands that are, are ready to to jump into the gaming space and into metaverse spaces with digital products, um, those who are dabbling in NFTs, like I mentioned, Slim Jim has done some of that. Um, the ones who are playing with it now are going to be the ones who are ready for it when it's when it's a requirement. That's so crazy. I the only thing I can think, Jess, is that thanks to this beautiful, evolving digital world that we now live in, you will have no shortage of of new words. Uh, to cover on your own TikTok channel and help everybody understand the meaning behind them all and the origins of everything. So if anything, it's just a uh, another source of inspiration for you. So that's the good news. It absolutely is. And I that is that's my all my side work and I love doing it. And I believe earlier you asked about my book. Uh, it's called Once Upon a Word. It is a kid's etymology dictionary, though. And I hope I'm allowed to say this, but I'm actually in negotiations uh, for another book deal at the moment. And that one will be more adult oriented. So I'm super looking forward to that as well. Congratulations. That's, Thank congrats. you. That's huge. Jess, we of course could talk to you all day. I, there's so much that I want to pick your brain about, but we of course only have so much time with you today and we do have to still get to our big two. But before we get to our big two, tell everybody where they can follow you. All right. So first of all, Adweek everywhere. Our handle pretty much everywhere is Adweek, A-W-A-D-W-E-E-K. And then um, and we're on TikTok, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we're, we're in many, many places and we do different things everywhere. So if you're a marketer and you want to learn more about marketing or you just like watching fun ads, then by all means, follow us. We have great tips. We also elevate the voices of other social media professionals. So um, if you join Adweek's communities, you can expect to learn from some of the most brilliant minds in this space. Um, personally, I am at Jess Zafaris, J-E-S-S-Z-A-F-A-R-R-I-S, um, and at Useless Etymology on uh, Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. Beautiful. All right, everybody, go follow all the things. Um, and while you do that, Jess, we are going to ask you the big two questions, the same two questions that we have asked over 500 guests on this show. Are you ready? I am. All right. First question, what piece of advice would you like to give anyone who wants to become a social pro? The three principles of any social engagement are have fun, engage with people and elevate their voices and be kind. I love that. Lessons on life too. Right. I, I know I feel, Oh, that feels so much more applicable to life. Yeah. You're right. Adam. I love yeah. it. Uh, all right. Question number two, if you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be? Honestly, probably William Shakespeare. That's it's probably a bit of a cliche answer in terms of the, someone in my discipline who is also very literary focused, but I would really love to pick his brain and learn more about both the storytelling and the wordplay that he is well known for. I think that's a first. 
Oh, good. <laughs> I think that is a first in 500 episodes. Uh, I mean, if you think answer. about it, uh, Shakespeare has all the makings of a social media manager. He was one of the first people to take to, to really make the theater fun and funny and exciting. And we still use stories and memes and structures from his plays today. So there That's you have it. True. Shakespeare, the social media manager. Nice. Um, if you could do a living person, who would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would probably say um, Susie Dent. She is uh, Britain's biggest etymology uh, name at the moment. She's big in that space, and she is a lot of fun. Uh, she's written several books. She's got a podcast. Very exciting, and I love her work. I feel like that would just be fun to be a fly on the wall for. Like, I would love to just hear you two go back and forth about, about all things etymology. Gosh, Agreed. that would be a dream. It really would. Maybe it'll happen, especially, I mean, um, I mean, people I see are already tagging you on etymology videos. So it just has to get into her, into her hands. And there I you go. I think it could happen. I, I believe, so I spoke on a, a, an etymology themed podcast the other day. And I think that she is also going to be on an episode of the same podcast. So we're almost there. <laughs> All right. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. We're going to put it out into the universe. Um, Jess, thank you so much for being on the show. It was so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. And I love talking about this. Yes, absolutely. Um, everybody else listening, thank you so much for being here as well. Um, he is Adam Brown from Salesforce. I am Anna Harak from Convince and Convert. And we hope you enjoyed this episode because we sure did. We loved having Jess on and talking to her. But we also continue, uh, we also look forward to continuing our conversations next week on what we hope is your favorite podcast in the whole wide world, the Social Pros Podcast.